You're listening to the Denver Real Estate Investing Podcast, where it's all about helping you grow your Denver real estate portfolio. Here's your host, Chris Lopez. Hey everyone, Chris Lopez here, back with another episode. And this one, we're doing another interview with a contributor in the 2020 Guide to Denver Real Estate Investing Strategies. So my guest today is Joshua Ernie. He was in the 2019 guide and also in the 2020 guide. So uh, we've had lots of conversations stemming from our investing and personal finance strategies. He's written the book. So it should be a fun conversation talking about real estate. And we'll probably dive into some other just investment uh, assets as well. Josh, glad to have you here, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah. So give give people just a quick recap. Uh because I imagine some people haven't read the chapter yet, but a week, quick recap of who you are and what your investing strategy is. Yeah, sure. Um, as you said, my name is Joshua Ernie. I am 29 years old. I'm living in uh, just north of Denver. I work in IT, specifically around a product called MuleSoft. So I, I just specialize in software integration, essentially. And I do independent contracting around that. As far as my investing strategy goes, um, it's currently a combination of three different things. So I, I have real estate, um, currently just the house that I'm living in now. And we'll talk about like how I purpose that as an asset. Well, your house hacking it. Well, I was, yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, the life insurance and then, uh, stock market investing primarily in ETFs, mutual funds, et cetera. Some more low risk stuff in that area. Well, let, let's start with the house hacking one or the real estate and the house hack, um, because, you know, what was interesting with this was, you know, this book came out, got published in April and right around mid-March, I got my first printed copy to like the physical proof to review it. And it was a couple of days after Governor Polis locked us down and, and, you know, we, got, we just got locked down. It's like, oh, well, that's, you know, two things is going to kind of squash the plans for doing some book promotions on doing in-person events, which I really wanted to do. So we pivoted to doing these interviews instead. But also, as I read the book, I was like, yeah, no one's strategies have a plan B in here for a, a virus uh, pandemic. Yeah. Right. So you bought your house, I think it was like two years ago, right? Yeah, two or three. Yeah. And I know, tell us people like just how you bought it, location, the remodel of it. And then we can talk about what you're doing until COVID hit and now what you're doing now. Yeah, so I'm... Um I am just west of 25 up by, I believe it's 80th, 80th and 84th. Um, I bought this house with an FHA loan. It was the first house that I purchased. So I put a really small amount down, but um, because of it, I wound up, because of that, I wound up having that private mortgage insurance and still have it today. Oh, you're going to have it forever until you refinance. Exactly. But I mean, is it, it would be a great time to refinance. I just got to get some other things together. So, yeah. And on total note, are you, are you going to plan on staying there for the year or so? I'm, I'm still deciding. I'm not sure. I know um, at least as far as living here long-term, um, it's not something that um, me and my girlfriend, Amanda are too jazzed about. So if we would be moving, it probably, we would be picking up and moving into another house and then renting this one out. I would definitely, because I've talked this with a, just a lot of people last couple months. Um, yeah, look at refinance right now, because if you're still living there for another year, you should be able to refinance at the conventional, no problem. 
um, and possibly get rid of PMI or prepay it, or at least they'll drop off after a couple of years and good chance right. the interest rates are lower than what you're, what you have. Yeah. Cause it's like, it's pretty brutal. It's something like 200 some dollars a month. Last time I checked. Yeah. It's, it's quite a bit, <laughs> but it's a great trade off for buying a place for three and a half percent down. I mean, that that's the reality. Of it. I feel it was absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Anyway. So, so back to that. So, uh, you bought it. Got the FHA, and I know you guys did some, you know, with the idea to to, uh, to Airbnb it. And I know you guys yeah. did some pretty extensive remodel work in the basement, if I recall. Yeah. So when we bought the house, the upstairs was moving ready, and the downstairs was, I guess, like legally moving ready, but it was it was not good. So um, we wound up pulling up all the tile from the basement, redoing the floors, painting. Um, just getting it ready to get some furniture down there and doing everything. It already had two bedrooms in the basement, its own separate bathroom. We could build a kitchenette and, and, uh, and essentially the living area. And that's what we did. And it wound up being, we did that. We started that August of last year. Only regret though okay. is that we didn't, I shouldn't say we, I should say I didn't get everything together more quickly. But, you know, there was a lot of money to be made is what we found. Um, given the location that we're at and the price point that we were on like the lower side, we were booked almost a hundred percent for August and September, mostly for like red rock shows and things like that. Mm. So what, uh, when you did the work, did you do the work yourself or did you hire contractors? Yeah, we did all the work ourselves. Okay. We we hired a contractor for like one or two things. Um, but nothing major. It was like baseboards and, I might have been it actually. Yeah. And so like what type of talk about the numbers here on the house act because you're you're you know like what was your vacancy rate or occupancy rate and like what's your average nightly, you know, uh charge? Yeah, so we started average nightly at $100 and we could take up to I believe it was six people that we could get down there. Cuz we had a um what's it called a fold out couch uh futon a uh, futon? Yeah, futon and yeah. um and two bedrooms. So we could get six people down there for a hundred dollars a day. Um towards the right before COVID hit, we had started increasing the price on that because the fact that we were booked a hundred percent of the time and in, in August was like a pretty strong indicator that our price was too low. Yep. We wanted to have some vacancy in there. Uh when we started getting into the winter months, we we kind of predicted that we'd get some ski traffic. Um, maybe people that just flew in from Denver late and or flew into Denver late and wanted to stay at a place before they drove up into the mountains the next day. That didn't really happen. It maybe happened once or twice. Um, so the vacancies in in the winter months were closer to 50%, whereas in the okay. summer we had almost zero. So what about once COVID hit, are you, are you getting um... – traveling nurses in there or doing medium-term rentals or is Airbnb stopped for you? Like what's the experience yeah. now with COVID? So when COVID hit, we just watched all of the reservations for the two months afterwards, uh, cancel slowly, but sure. Oh, yeah. Just every week, somebody would, uh, somebody would cancel. And then recently we had them start coming back in again because we still had the Airbnb listed. But at that point we had already decided to close it down and repurpose it, repurpose the basement for, um, some other stuff because when, when COVID hit, 
my girlfriend lost her job. So she started looking for other ways to make income and decided to start uh, creating yoga videos, doing um, not just yoga videos, but she does all kinds of stuff, powerlifting, yoga, um, just strength sports in general. Um, and doing videos around those in the basement and kind of turning that into more of a studio space. Oh, nice. So that was, um, and do, are you guys planning on keeping it like that or you think it'll turn back to Airbnb or unknown? It's unknown right now because it, it might be by the time this stuff turns around, we'll already be in the process of moving. It, it really just depends. It's, there's not really a, like a long-term plan there because I don't think, because really neither of us see ourselves in this house long-term anyway. Yeah. Well, you bought it, you bought, uh, with the mindset of a future rental property, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, regardless, like most, most people don't hit the home run, their first house, especially buying a first rental property. Yeah. It's not your dream home. Right. Yeah. So we, we just bought it with the intention of living here at least a year and then whatever happens after that. So what is your, your plan going forward as far as real estate? You just doing like a, a House act number two, house act number three, going towards traditional investing. What's the plan? So the more we've talked about it, I think the more we've settled on probably the next place we buy is a place that we'd like to stay in for, um, like, let's say like five to seven years. Okay. So what we would be doing is moving out of this house, moving into that one, and then renting out this one. And then from that point forward, the rest of the houses bought would be, we would stay in the house and buy the other ones with conventional mortgages, 20% down. Yep. Okay. So let's move on. I know, um, you know, talking stocks because I'm, I'm, I might be confusing conversations that we had a long time ago, but you were pretty active in the stock market for a while, right? Or, Or at least stock picking, I should say. Oh yeah, I was um I was thinking about day trading and everything, and um, I had set up like a a plan for that on how I was going to make that happen, and um, you know at some point I thought I was actually going to make like a program that could just sit there and make money for me. Oh, the mythical black box that can. That's exactly what you said when I told you. Yeah, so you're going to go make your black box, and I was like, yeah, we'll see how it goes. I actually tried that like 10 years ago with a couple of business partners on, on foreign currencies. And we, we, we legitimately spent like a year and a half on it and it never worked. Well, it's, it's interesting. Cause you, you try to like make this, you try to make this program react to like human irrationality. Right. And programs aren't flexible like that. Even with uh, AI nowadays, it couldn't make it work. But um, I never really dropped any money into that. I just, quickly found out through even even through um what's it called i forget the names of the accounts where you're not actually trading money but it's just uh it's fake money that you're playing with and and like a a particular market yeah just like the paper money trade accounts paper money yeah exactly even with that i found that the emotion i wasn't ready for the emotional aspect of like putting that kind of money at risk and it wasn't even real money so at, at that point, I knew I was like, this is not something that I should be pursuing um, as an alternative. I was thinking about it as an alternative to uh, a job. Yeah. I was like, you know, that's probably not a good call. I'm, I'm losing money. I'm frustrated. It's not even real money. <laughs> and uh, it's just not working out. So, But I learned a lot about, um, especially risk management through learning about uh, day trading. So it wasn't all, lo- it wasn't all loss. Uh, 
I gained a lot from it in a sense. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I haven't looked at the stock market in years now or thought about day trading for probably a good 10 years. Um, yeah, I remember the emotional, but also like, I don't know, and maybe this was just me, but man, it, you just get the thrill because it's basically gambling. Like it's calculated gambling. You get the thrill of gambling and oh, it's fun. Like I, I do miss that because it's fun. See, I don't even like gambling, so. Oh, I don't like gambling unless I know the odds. I know the rules and cool. I can have like a, you know, my, my probably was like, I always go for like a three to one risk to reward ratio because mm-hmm. my, my base is, hey, I'm going to win 50% and lose 50%. Right. I'll just, you know, you should probability wise, you should be 50 50. So if I take, you know, trades that are most likely going to make me like, you know, a three X or a three dollar. Now, for every dollar uh, stop loss limit, I'd have a three dollar profit limit. And right. that was on paper. I mean, never really executed. I, I made a couple bucks, but nothing worth my time invested in there. Um, but oh, man, I remember the emotional thrill of it. It was fun. So I, I, I enjoy it. Like it's, but it's, it's not profitable. At least not for me. And it's not, I don't think it's a sustainable thing, you know? Yeah. I've met very few people that could do it, but most people I hear, like, even if they go full time on there and they have the money, you know, three, four years later, their accounts are basically still flat or sideways. And it's just, it's just really hard to do. They got like the high frequency traders now that just all about speed and they're, you know, literally rocket scientists that have built their trading programs and they're just way smarter than me. So what what's your investing strategy now? So like you're doing that, and I recall you were your plan was to trade and then take some of that money and use it as a down payment in real estate too, right? Hey, take some take some of the profits off the stock market and throw it into real estate, right? Yeah. So I decided not to do that, um, mostly because what what I was doing was I, I I started with ETFs, and then I started getting a little greedy, and I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to start investing in individual stocks like Amazon, Facebook, Tesla, etc." Um, but like emotionally, I could I couldn't handle the volatility of seeing just like the number go down um, and being like, "Yeah, it'll probably come back up." Because I really didn't know. I I was foolish, and I didn't really do the necessary research um, on these companies to to really have the confidence that they were going to get through these downturns. Um, so that was something I learned from that. I decided not to go that route. Instead, I just have whatever I'm planning on putting on, uh, for a down payment on a house into a a savings account. And I just use that instead. Okay. And one of the reasons I was doing the, the approach with the stock market and trying to use those gains to kind of accelerate being able to make a down payment on a house was because my my income wasn't, I guess, very high or as, as high as I had wanted it to be. Um, so instead of, instead of kind of taking the risks in the stock market, what I decided to do instead was take that energy and put it into me being able to consistently make more money on a, on a day-to-day basis with my nine to five. That, that was the same conclusion I came to a long time ago. It's just, yeah. yep. and that was, and, and that's been a lot more effective. So, so what's your new strategy? I know you mentioned, you know, I think you said at the beginning, like ETFs and stuff. Are you, what type are you buying? And are you simply just buying and holding? Or are you picking sectors? Are you swing trading? Like how, how, how sexy versus simplistic are you now? It's not sexy. It's, it's not sexy at all. I try to make it as, as simplistic as possible because it's something that I really don't like to have to think about. I, I really ah. prefer to 
um, save my energy for, for other things. So what I do is I, I basically have a large cap ETF, a small cap ETF, and an S&P 500 ETF. I invest in each one of those equally. So you're doing a third, third, third? Yep, and it's just buy and hold. Well, how'd you come up with that? Is that is that the uh, I know there's all sorts of like portfolio templates out there. Is that one of the ones from like Bogleheads or this one, one I think, of those? I think I picked up this one from Millionaire Teacher. Okay. I think that's it. Yeah. And that was one of the first books I read that kind of got me. I think I referenced it in, in the 2019 book. That's one of the first books I read that got me kind of thinking about um wow, I, I don't have to work until I'm 65. And, and yeah. if I have enough for retirement, I could I could really kill it right now and retire in ten years if I wanted to. And is all the real is that all the stock stuff are you doing on like IRAs, four hundred one ks, or you're still doing some after tax brokerage accounts? Yeah, so I do. Um, I had a traditional IRA when I was uh, working W two, and a Roth IRA that I was contributing to as well. Um, but I have. Now I'm doing a, a SEP IRA because mm-hmm. I'm independent. So I'm doing that instead. And I haven't, I think I'm just outside of the the income bracket to contribute to a Roth anymore. So, okay. which was kind of sad because I was, that's like a really exciting um, tax benefit with the Roth IRA. So it was kind of bittersweet. Uh, it's a good time to do a Roth conversion. What, what how do you mean? Well, you can, if you got like your traditional IRA, you can actually convert that to a Roth IRA. Okay. Yeah. So Google, uh, and there's two things, Google like Roth IRA conversion. And if you want to get really fancy, do like a backdoor Roth IRA. Um, but the, the conversion there is just helping to, I know a lot of people are doing it now because they're, you know, their expectations, you know, since taxes are very low right now from the tax cuts two or three years ago. Yeah. They're like, hey, Graham, I'll do that. So basically, it's just they have some form of there based on how much money you have in that versus your Roth. There's, you know, there's all sorts of rules there, but you can convert it, and then you you pay the taxes now, right? And you can either, I think, you actually pay it out like your your non your non W two income if you wanted to, or I'm sorry, your non Roth your non IRA income, but then convert it over to the Roth, pay your taxes now, and then it's all tax free down the road like a normal Roth. So I can. I can use the money in the traditional IRA to pay the taxes for the conversion. I believe so. I, I've not done it. Um, and it's been a long time since I read the details on there. I was going to start doing it a year ago, but I decided not to for just kind of laziness reasons. Um, and I, I realized it's like, ah, I've got so much in Ross. I'm buying all real estate now. I was like, yeah, I might as well leave some money in like those other tax vehicles just as a hedge. Um, but yeah, no, you can do that and convert it. I know a lot of people are doing it. I'll check it out. Thanks for, yeah. thanks for bringing it up. Of course. I, I mean, learned fun stuff is... something new every time I talk to you. So let's talk about, uh, life insurance. Cause we've had some fun debates about this. Yeah. What, what are you doing there? So I have a whole life insurance policy that I set up, um, a couple of years ago. If not, maybe, maybe one, one year, one and a half. Um, so I contribute around $1,000 to that a month. And with whole life insurance, the idea is, as opposed to term life insurance, where once the contract expires, everything you've put into it is gone. Um, whole life insurance is 
you, you eventually get that money back. The way it works is the money is not directly invested in the stock market. So what it, it does some fancy things with options so that it experiences the upsides of the stock market, although there is a cap on that. So it's like if, if the stock market rallies 20% in one year, I might only see 12% of that. But I, I can't lose any money, essentially, except for to, to fees and, and all that kind of stuff. So, you know, I made sure to think, think hard about this before I came on to, the, uh, to, to this video. <laughs> so here's how I feel about it now. I think purely from an investment standpoint, if you're just trying to, if you're just trying to grow your money, it absolutely does not make sense to do a whole life um, policy. Honestly, this is this is seriously just what you told me when I was thinking about it. But if you want life insurance and you also want to grow your money over time, a whole life insurance policy might work for you. Yeah. So it, in a way, it's a little saddening from like a, a a growing money perspective, but it's also very reassuring to know that like you, you know like a big part of the reason that I'm even trying to grow my wealth to begin with is being able to take care of my family. And if something unfortunate were to happen to me, it makes me feel a lot better knowing that they would be taken care of in, in that event. Because I didn't get, I, w- I didn't have any life insurance through my through my job. It was a relatively small company of maybe like fifty yeah. people, and they just weren't at that stage of maturity where they were issuing people term life insurance. And so, is your plan? Because I know uh, a you know a common plan when when people buy these whole life policies is to use it basically as like their asset and you can borrow money generally fairly cheap, cheaply against the cash value on there. Yeah. And then a lot of times I know I've, you know, people go to me, Hey, they use that to buy a car, to go out there, buy real estate, you know, all sorts. Are right, do you have plans on using that cash value and borrowing against it to use it to go buy real estate or other assets? Possibly, but the way I'm thinking about it more, uh, recently is just more of a retirement account. Okay. Instead of using it to to pull out and invest in something else. So kind of going forward here with the, you know what you've experienced here with you know the couple years of house hacking, the COVID stuff has you know, the experience and the COVID has any of that changed your long term investing plans? Any big changes or a house? No, not at all. So the, the company that I work for now is a, is a real estate company and just, I can't, unfortunately I can't really say much more about it than that, but um, just looking at how their finances have been through COVID-19, it's, it's, it's like shocking how resilient the real estate market really is. There were issues with like showing houses and, you know, I'm looking at this chart and seeing that the amount of showings has gone down, but then it, once COVID-19 started to subside again, it was like all COVID-19 was, was a dam on all of those showings. And then it just exploded yeah. when they started going down, uh, when, when cases started decreasing again. So in terms of in my investing strategy, COVID-19 hasn't really changed anything there at all long-term. Um, but short, short-term, it certainly has um, forced me and, and Amanda to make some adjustments. Cool. Well, I appreciate you coming on the show and I hopefully you'll be in the 20, let's see the 2021 edition again. Have you back as a contributing 
Now, if people want to reach out to you, is there, do you want people to connect with you, bounce questions around, network? Yeah, absolutely. I would love it if uh, anybody reached out to me. So you can reach me at um, journey at journey.io. That's J-E-R-N-E-Y. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn, Facebook. Um, I see those are the only two I'm on anymore. So got, off, got rid of the other ones? Yeah, Twitter was making me real sad. Um, so I just, I, just, <laughs> I just got rid of it. <laughs> yeah. It was when that like World War III thing started happening. When we were worried about uh, North Korea launching nukes at us. And I was like, yeah, this is it. I'm, I'm done with Twitter. <laughs> yeah, yeah they, they can go down some, I mean, all that stuff. The whole internet has go down some nasty rabbit holes. Yep. Awesome, Joshua. I appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you so much. If you guys Absolutely. want to reach out to him, uh, his email address will be in the contact details will be in the show notes. All right. Thanks a lot, Chris.